Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to Mix in America. I got a good guest with me today. He actually joined me last time, season one, so you might want to go back and listen to that uh, if you didn't hear that one before. Uh, but Pastor Vince Freeman has joined me again. He's from Rock Church in San Diego, so that's where my wife and I went when we were in San Diego. So just a good friend, good guy. If you heard him last time, you definitely heard he's got a lot of great stuff to say. So I decided to see if he'd come back into a second one, which he agreed to. So Vince, why don't you start by kind of saying hi, introduce yourself again. Yeah, my name is Vince Freeman. I'm originally from North Carolina, born and raised there uh, most of my whole life. And uh, my wife and I met there, got married, and we moved to San Diego in 2014. So I've been here for the last six years on staff at a church currently as an online pastor. So this whole pandemic and everything, it's been uh, a really interesting time for the church, for sure. And I'm really blessed to be in a position to help people find and follow Jesus online. So yeah, excited to be back here. Thanks for having me again, Josh. Awesome, man. Thanks thanks for coming back. I really appreciate it. Um, I know you are busy with all the the online stuff and then just life stuff in general too. So I appreciate you taking the time. Um, let's start right away with, if you if you don't know Vince's story, I mean, listen to the last one, he talked more about his story and growing up. So I want to jump right into things here um, and start with this probably won't actually air in February, it'll probably air in March, but, but let's start by talking about black history because um, that's one of those things that black history month doesn't maybe get, it's get a lot more attention now than maybe it has in the past, but I know it's always been just kind of there. A lot of people really don't know maybe why they celebrate it. Maybe there's, you know, a few names that everybody can kind of list, um, but but really not going any deeper. And um, so I just want to ask you, why do you think February Black History Month and really Black History in general is so important? Yeah, I think uh, it's so funny that there are so many emotions that surround something like a heritage month, you know, Black History Month. And so for me, I think it's funny whenever it gets brought up because people tend to feel some kind of way about it. Again, you know, in the last episode, I talked a little bit about my background, but for those who haven't heard it, I grew up um, in a predominantly white area. I went to a predominantly white um, private Christian school, K through 12. And so whenever February would roll around, it was often an odd time where there was uh, a really weird amount of attention that was put on myself and my two sisters, one of the only black families at the school, you know, teachers maybe felt like they had to do certain things. And it was just always kind of weird. You got the awkward stares and the people complaining, why do we have black history month? Why is this important? I don't understand. And I think the number one reason why black history is important is because black history is American history. I think you hear that sentiment yeah. over and over. It's not, a subsect of American history where these things happen in a corner of the world, black history is American history. And so um, it's important to know that because whether or not you understand it, your life has been influenced by black people yeah. and uh, our country, you know, its formation, its foundation, the way it was built, the way it's been run, the way it's been designed, black people have been integral in every single part of America's foundation. And so, First and foremost, if you are an American, uh, Black history is important because it is a part and deeply rooted in American history. Now, there are some things in there that are very difficult for us to process, things that happened a long time ago, things that are uh, hard to wrap our minds around, but that doesn't mean that we should avoid it just because some of it's painful or difficult. Yeah, I agree. Um, it is always kind of an awkward thing, and it's always like, why is that one month, the month that we celebrated, which I actually looked that up. I don't know, you maybe already know this already, but I thought it was interesting that it was actually started 
back in 1915 by this historian. Um, and it was the second week of February, I think it was, because that was Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass's birthday were both in that same time. Um, so I always, I thought that, I just learned that this year, actually. I thought yeah. that was interesting because I always wondered why we got the shortest month of the year. I thought that was right. to be like the one month that doesn't even have 30 days ever. Right. And we're going to make that Black History Month. And that's like the running joke in the Black community, right? It's yeah. the month of the year. And most of us don't even know that it used to just be a week. Yeah, right. It wasn't until I think uh, the 70s that it officially became a month. So, yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I've also had conversations about why why do we need a month? Like, <clears throat> if, if Black history is American history, then why do we separate a month? All right. We don't have a white history month. We don't have an Asian history month. We don't have a Hispanic history month. Um, I don't know if you want to speak to that at all, but why yeah. is it important that we that we do set aside the time. If do you think it's important to set aside the time specifically, we're going to talk about black history. We're going to educate people on black history. We're going to have these conversations that we don't normally have most of the year. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think there's two key things around that. Um, one, I think it is important because it is something that has been left out traditionally. Not only has it been left out in school curriculum, it's been altered. Um, yes. You know, some of those videos I sent you last time, just yes. indigenous history. Um, but here's the funny thing. I'm glad you mentioned this, is that oftentimes people will say, why do we need a Black History Month? They'll say one of two things. We don't have a White History Month. Or they'll say, well, there aren't any other months that celebrate other heritages. And I would say that both of those are incorrect. One, we don't necessarily have a White History Month. But the large majority of U.S. and American you know, history it's taught is going to feature the achievements and the accomplishments of white people. Yeah. So you may not have a whole month, but you've got the rest of the year. <laughs> The second thing that is something that, you know, just takes a little bit of research is that we actually have several other months dedicated to different heritages. And I pulled a list specifically for this conversation, but March is Irish American Heritage Month. May is Asian Pacific Heritage Month. Uh, May also is Jewish American Heritage Month. From September 15th to October 15th, it's National uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. And then in November, you have American Indian Heritage Month. So these things may not have been uh, in place as long as Black History Month is, but it does show you that, you know, people don't even know these things exist, which is probably proof of their importance. Uh, and I remember getting a conversation with uh, a friend of mine a long time ago who said the same thing. And I said, listen, these things are actually showing why we need them because people don't even recognize maybe the contributions or the importance of some specific groups to society. Representation yeah. is so important. It's so key. And um, I think that the, the reason why we have them speaks to the fact that we need them because uh, most places are not going to give you a wide array of um, history, particularly as you dive deep into specific cultures. You talked, you, I, what you said there, you said history, you said representation is so important. Yeah. I want to ask why representation is so important, because I think yeah. I've heard that before. I've also heard people say that they don't think it's that important. Um, obviously, we you know, we had a black president before we have a black vice president, black female vice president now. Um, and some people think it's more important than others. I want to guess your perspective. At least you say representation is important. What do you mean by that and why? So I think there's a couple different sides to this. We could talk about this probably for an entire episode, but representation is so important for several reasons. Um, one, when you see someone accomplish or do something, not only does it speak to the youth of, 
of that generation. You know, we have a black president that proves that you can do anything. There's no limit. Instead of saying, well, we've never had a black X, Y, Z, or no one from my family has ever done this before. When you see someone else accomplish that, it does something to your spirit where you're saying, man, if someone from my neighborhood, someone with my skin tone who has been excluded in the past can achieve this high level of ranking or success or whatever, that is such an inspiration for others to go out and do it. Um, and it's no secret that in America for so long, many uh, minorities, people of color were excluded from almost every facet of society. You know, And so when you see a, a, a director you know, whether it be a black director, a female director, a trans director, you know, win best picture of the year. It's like, dang, they can do that. I can do that too. Um, so representation is, is huge there, but let's go on a spiritual side of it, right? Uh, let's think about, you know, God, the father sending Jesus as our representative. He came, he lived on earth. He did something that we could not do as our representative and he stood in our place. So we can now look at Jesus and say, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would he love? How would he serve? How would he do that? So we get that representation is important, whether you're a Christian or not, on, on whatever level, you know, uh, when you see someone go before you to do something, it is impactful for you as a person. Um, you know, you think about Hamilton, you think about some of these groundbreaking, genre-breaking things. When you see stuff that's completely different, people are like, wow, I didn't think that that was possible. Um, and it just shatters the ideologies that are told from the past because the world, the world and culture, people are going to tell you, you can't do certain things because you're a man, you know, you're a person of color, you're a woman, you're disabled, you're, you know, insert whatever. And when you see someone that says, yes, I can, that changes everything. Yeah. I love that. I didn't even think of it that way. I love, I'm, I'm glad that we talked about this, but that idea of representation being important of Jesus representing mankind on this earth. Like, cause I've talked about this with other people before. And I actually, in my devotional book, have one of them dedicated to like Jesus kind of being, if God is our coach, like he actually played the game. He yeah. actually lived it this way. Like that's important for us to, to see that. And granted, we're not going to live a perfect life like he did, right. but to see that Jesus lived as a man and was able to live the the sin free life that we all try to live the fact that he did it uh is huge just in the fact that we can follow his example that we can you know he knows what we're going through he's not some god up in the sky just judging us yep um, so the I, fact that you link that to representation i think that's i think that's really cool because I, I never really thought about it in that way like you just said yeah i, I want to hang out here for a second because yeah. i think there's so many levels and and the impact of representation think about black panther Right. Yeah. Um, Black Panther was such a groundbreaking movie for so many reasons, you know, all black cast for the most part, but it wasn't a black movie. And yeah. I remember having a conversation with somebody at work and it was, it was a white female at, at a job I had years ago. And she had brought up some famous rom-com and I was joking with her and she was like, you've never seen, I think it was like 16 candles or something. And I was like, yeah. oh, I've never seen it. And she was just like, could not believe that I hadn't seen it. So I was like, well, how many black movies have you seen? And she was like, what do you mean? And I just started listing some famous black movies and she wasn't even aware that this genre kind of existed. Yeah. And when I told her that she was like, well, why would I watch those? And I said, okay, so there was an expectation for me to have seen a movie that you liked that was an all white cast that was very yeah. famous, maybe in white culture. 
But a movie that I would consider to be famous in maybe black culture, it didn't even cross your mind of why you would want to watch it. And yeah. When you look at a movie like Black Panther, obviously it was in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It was um, you know, part of, I think it probably made over a billion dollars. So many people, no matter what color they were, went and saw it and they didn't think this is a black movie with black people and a black cast. I'm excluded from that. They were like doing the Wakanda salute and they, yeah. were, they, were, they were so deeply entrenched in it. And yeah. so many people, they never even thought about the fact that it was a black cast, but people of color were losing their minds. They were like, yeah. this is the greatest thing ever. You know, black director, you know, I, I know they had a black crew and just all kinds of stuff. And that representation normalized part of our culture, even though it's a fictional setting. Yeah. You know, I mean, white kids, Mexican, you know, Hispanic kids, all kinds of kids running around with Black Panther. Yeah. And that's, it's incredible to see because they don't look at that and say, oh, that's for Black people. It's like, no, that was a Black superhero and that's awesome. So yeah, it impacts culture in such a powerful way. And now Black kids can say, there's a superhero that looks like me instead yeah. of being Spider-Man or Batman or Superman. It's like, you know, having different portrayals and representation. It again, we could talk about this yeah. for hours. It's I, it, I love it. It's so yeah, and it's so key. No, we'll move on. But I do want to say, like, I honestly, like, when black when Black Panther was getting hyped and get ready to come out, I was a little like, I don't know. It felt like it was just hype. Like, oh, a black superhero. Okay, that's cool. But if if it was just a black superhero, then but the fact that I it was a really good movie. And that, like you said, it does transform culture. It was more than just a black movie, right? He was a black superhero, but he wasn't just a black superhero. Like you said, you know, white kids, Hispanic kids, Asian kids, everybody going as, as Black Panther for Halloween and doing the Wakanda forever. Like um, it was bigger than that. And then while you were talking, it also made me think of Fresh Prince was more my generation, right? We grew up with Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and I, we, I just watched the the 30th anniversary thing. That's probably why I'm thinking about it. Yeah. But the idea that 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 show wasn't just a black show, I, really? I feel like it transcend transcend culture. I have a lot of friends, white friends that are my age that also grew up on Fresh Prince. And I thought, you know, talk good, bad, whatever about it. But I think it did a good job of like representing a culture that wasn't represented in in mainstream like that at the time. Yeah, I think of um, like Crazy Rich Asians. Um, so that was one of the first movies, you know, kind of with especially romantic comedy with an all Asian cast that was really marketed here in the United States for everyone. It wasn't like a K-drama or something where it's like, yeah, this is a Japanese film, this is a Korean drama, whatever. It was like, oh, this is a movie anybody can go see, especially speaking against the negative stereotype of Asian men being desirable in American culture. Like that's just a negative stereotype that our culture has pushed for a long time. And so that movie made a grip of money. I think they're making yeah. a sequel to it. I've seen it several times. It's funny. Um, and I just think there was a lot of groundbreaking to be done. And yet offhand, there's only a couple key examples like that. that I can think movies yeah. that you know, there's, there's a ton of stuff out there, but movies that are culturally, like you said, transcending where it's like people are going to see it and they're talking about it. And it's not like you have a friend who's really into Japanese culture or Korean culture, yeah. you know? And so I think that as our culture continues to develop, hopefully that stuff will become less and less iconic because it is becoming more normalized and it won't yeah. be the one Black Panther we have every 20 years, you know? Um, and I know that, Marvel has a movie coming out, I think, 
next year. I can't remember the exact name of it, but um, one of one of the actors I like from this uh, show, it's a Korean show. He's going to be the lead in it, and it's he's okay. going to first Asian. Is that Moon Knight. Uh, Shanghai, oh. something in the Teen okay. Titans, I think. Yeah. So again, putting men, putting Asian men in roles, you know, that are movies that are marketed towards America. It representation is key. It normalizes what people have been told is weird or undesirable for yeah. so long, and um, it's just it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. No, you're right. We could we could talk about this forever, but let's move on um, for time's sake. I do want to talk to you about uh, one of the things specifically you brought up uh, last time you were on. You talked about microaggressions, and we didn't go into it there because we didn't have the time. Yeah. Um, but I want I want you to speak to it because I think that's one of those things that. I think that word maybe gets thrown around a lot. And I think that a lot of people don't really understand it. So some people maybe think it's not that big of a deal because they don't really know what it means or they think this, is, and you know, so just, I just want to talk about that a little bit, like define what you mean by microaggressions and why is that so dangerous? Yeah. So I, I made a couple of notes. Um, it's funny because microaggressions are, there's something that I experienced a lot growing up and I did not have a word for it. Um, even though the term was coined a long time ago, I didn't know the term. And so um, some of the research I pulled, it said that Harvard psychiatrist Chester Pierce actually coined the term back in the 70s. And he described it as racially charged, subtle blows delivered incessantly. Hmm. Racially charged, subtle blows delivered incessantly. And so someone might be listening saying, I don't know what that is. Um I'll, I'll give you one of the most famous microaggressions that I get all the time. When I'm speaking to someone, whether it's in person or online, someone will come to me and say, oh, wow, you're so articulate, mm, right? Yeah. And that is a, a double-edged sword because it sounds like a compliment and people could very well mean it in a certain way. But the implication behind it is it's a surprise to you that I am articulate. And why is it a surprise? Well, because culture for a long time has said that black men or black people in particular cannot be articulate. We have to be gangsters. We have to be X, Y, Z. We have to be thugs. We have to be from the ghetto. We have to talk a certain way that's, uh, you know, indistinguishable to the human ear. And I heard that my entire life. You talk so white. You talk this. Why do you talk so proper? And you can hear that from black people. You can hear it from white people. You can hear it from anybody. Um, and so that idea of a racially charged blow that's subtle, but it's delivered incessantly. It's all the time. Um, why do you like this certain type of music? You're black. You know, it's like, okay, so now I have to be relegated to a certain category because of the color of my skin. I cannot also enjoy the same freedom that you have to do whatever it is that you want to do. Um, and there's a quote from this uh, doctor. He worked at the Seattle Children's Hospital. This is what he says. He was talking about the biological effects of discrimination. He said, it's not about having your feelings hurt. It's about how being repeatedly dismissed and alienated and insulted and invalidated reinforces the differences in power and privilege and how this per perpetuates racism and discrimination. So it's just those subtle, like pushing you in the corner. It's not overt necessarily calling you the N-word, you know, hazing you, doing all these things. It's just these little jabs that over time can really wear someone down and honestly um, destroy their identity if it's not rooted in a solid place. And I dealt with that my whole life growing up, and I had no idea what to call it. I used to actually call it the highest form of racism because a lot of people wow. didn't know necessarily what they were saying 
they would just say it because they were conditioned to. And when I finally found the language behind it, I was like, oh, this is what I've been experiencing. I've, I felt so validated because I was like, people have said this to me my whole life for whatever reason. And now I know not only how to respond to it, but how to navigate it. And I'm understanding the psychological impacts it can have. Yeah, I think that's, first of all, very well said. Um, very good explanation of it. And I think it's that that repeated, the repetitiveness to it, where that you hear that over and over again, that to me, it's, I hear, it's something that always kind of sets you aside as different. Right. So you're just told, and even if it's not even lesser than, like the articulate example that you use is definitely one that that you hear a lot, um, especially for someone like you who, who does speak really well, right. Right, whatever, like you're, I've heard you preach before, just having these conversations with you. Uh, you do speak really well. So I can see why people might, and then, you know, so that one can be definitely has negative connotations to it. But I think even ones that just can consistently remind you that you're different, mm-hmm. I think it'd be hard, especially like you said, growing up when you were different, when there wasn't a lot of uh, black kids like you growing right. up, just that constant reminder of you're different. Um, I think it's tough as a kid, especially because uh, we're all trying to find our identity and who we are and where we fit and, and where we belong. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, that to me, even if it's people and people don't understand the um, the impact that that can have, or at least don't think about it at the time, because they'll say something like that. Um, and then some people, if you call them on it, kind of get defensive, like, well, hold on, I'm not racist. Well, I'm not I'm not necessarily saying you saying you're that. But if 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 we don't call you on it, if we don't talk about it, it's going to continue and it's not going to get any better. Exactly. I think there's such a, a huge line between uh, racist and problematic. Um, and when people get called out on things, a lot of people don't want to hear the explanation because they're so afraid that, okay, I just said something now I'm, I'm exposed, I'm embarrassed and I'm not a racist. And they just kind of throw that out there. And it's like, well, let me just share with you actually why what you said is problematic. Yeah. I'm not, I don't hate you. I actually, actually want to help you. So you don't say this again. I'll give you another example. Um, our daughter, my wife and I's daughter, she's uh, black, white, and Filipino. She's got kind of a mocha latte type skin thing going on, and she, her skin's beautiful. But she's kind of a mix between my wife and I, and when people see her, sometimes people will use the word exotic to describe her. Mm. The first time it happened, I did not know. I literally like had a brain aneurysm in my mind, and I just froze because I hated the way it made me feel, and I did not want to snap on the person because I don't obviously for several reasons, I want to show love. I want to communicate God's love to people, but I also don't want to um, feed into a negative black man, angry stereotype. Right. So I was trying to figure out the best way to say that, please don't call my daughter exotic. She's not a tropical Island or a dancer. Um, But again, I knew that the woman who said it, it was literally out of her ignorance. It wasn't that she thought this is hurtful. I'll say this. It was just, again, it was so, it wasn't normal. She, my daughter looked so different and the word she wanted to attribute to it was exotic. And it's just like, it's problematic. And so my, I came home, I told my wife about it. We kind of developed something that I could say in response when stuff like that happens. And then I can also teach my daughter, like, you know, how to respond to situations. She's two and a half, but it's going to happen. What can I ask what you said or what, what's going to kind of be your response. Cause I would catch me back too. I, I wouldn't know what to say. Like, yeah, it caught me like by surprise. I was literally holding her and she was like, complimenting my daughter, her hair, her eyes. And she was like, Oh, she just, 
she just looks so exotic. And I literally was like, oh. <laughs> I just froze. And I was like, okay, we're leaving now. But, um, you know, one thing I can say is like, hey, the, the word we actually prefer to use is just beautiful. Um, yeah. You know, or whatever. If, it depends on how spicy I'm feeling that day. <laughs> yeah. You know, you might catch a different response. But um, just say, hey, like, we try to, you know, make sure the words we're using have a positive, you know, connotation. And um, if, if I have time, maybe to explain why I think it's problematic. Oftentimes people that I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but yeah. it's just, language is important. And it's just those subtle shifts. You know, people use the word ghetto to describe just about anything that's sad, broken, janky or whatever. Yeah. Use that word to describe anything that except for what it is and yeah. slipping away from things. You know, people use the word retarded a lot. And it's like language is powerful. And it's just those it's those changes that help you remember the importance behind what we say. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, the next question I want to talk about, you, you mentioned you, def- you did a good job of defining micro- microaggressions. You also talked about language is important. <laughs> One of the things that I found in all of these conversations that I've had a whole lot of a whole lot more racial conversations in the last year. But a lot of what I found is, is people not defining terms, uh, not really knowing like we might even agree on a subject. Right. You think I mean one thing when I say, you know, an example that I like to use or that comes off the top of my head is Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Well, if if you say the word, the words Black Lives Matter, that that's not a controversial statement in any way, shape, or form. But but people, some people hear that and they think you're automatically supporting the organization with that name. Yep. And politically, they they don't agree with what they're saying. I don't politically agree with the organization Black Lives Matter, but those three words in that order is not controversial to me in any way, shape or form. So there is right. no response you should have other than yes, they do matter. Yep. And so those kind of terms, um, system, systemic racism, defining that um, white privilege is another one that, that I've had conversations with people and, and people have different definitions for what that means. So yeah. not that you need to solve all of that right now, but, but the importance of when you're having a conversation defining those terms and saying what you actually mean by these things. Yeah. Language is so key. It's important because it's the backbone of society, right? If you and I say the same thing, but we actually mean different things, there will be a breakdown in our relationship. You know, Um, if I tell my wife, I will be home soon. And soon to me means 15 minutes. And soon to her means one minute, you know, or soon to me means an hour. We have to understand what we're both saying. And so even if two people disagree on what the actual um, definition of a word means, as long as there's an agreement for the context of that conversation, um, you will have a better conversation. I'm not saying that that's necessarily right. I think you should try to use words as they are defined, but it's really about the conversation in that moment. And so I think when people are sharing, particularly about sensitive topics like race, uh, there should be a kind of defining moment if you use a word that is potentially controversial. So if you say systemic racism, you can say, here's what I mean by systemic racism. Give a definition so that every every hearer has the same context. Now you may disagree about what I just said, but this is the working definition that I'm using to use our conversation in. So if I just say systemic racism or white privilege, and in your mind you hear financial privilege, which is what happens to a lot of people, someone says white privilege, they think, oh, financial privilege, and they're not the same thing. They could have, you know, they could overlap, but they don't necessarily always mean the same thing. 
then you're going to have breakdown of conversation. That's where people get defensive. They say things like, well, I work for everything I have. Well, we're not saying that you didn't. In fact, we're actually, you know, there's a whole another level of that. So again, I think there's a lot of definitions out there. Racism or being racist is actually a really controversial one because in its essence, racism is about power. Mm. And so people actually say, well, can minorities or people of color be racist? By the actual working kind of definition, academically, the answer would be no, they could be prejudiced. Yeah. But, you know, if two people don't agree on that, figure out what you can agree on and start from there. Don't worry about whether you're using the term, that, you know, just, you kind of just have to, okay, what, what can we agree on? And then let's go from there. No, and I think that's good. You brought up like white privilege is one that some people do mean they, when they say white privilege, they do think they're talking about just financial privilege. Right. And so I think you do need to have, cause I, you can talk to 30 different people. You might get 30 different definitions of white, of what white privilege means. And you have to, to have that conversation, you have to actually define what you mean. If I say white privilege does or doesn't exist, mm-hmm. I need to say, what do I mean by that? What, yeah. what, what does white privilege mean to me? Because if I say one thing and you think I'm meaning something different and I say it doesn't exist, we could have a fight right there because you think it's, you know, and when I could be meaning something completely different. Yeah. Um, so I, Again, it's it's all in having these conversations, and I think a lot of people, uh, honestly, whether you're talking about you know stereotypes or or defining your terms or whatever it is, I think a lot of it is, and I think you actually mentioned it in our last one. It's these shortcuts. Mm-hmm. It's just we don't want to actually take the time to get to know people to have the conversations. Uh, we just want to use these shortcuts. We just want to the quick answers. We just want the easy answers. We just want to, and often in these conversations about race or politics, we just want to prove we're right. Mm-hmm. So we're really not interested in how you define these terms. We're just interested in in getting our point across and maybe even being louder just to get that point across. Yeah, and I think uh, laying down the foundation in relationship is so key, like what you were saying. That takes time, and most people are not interested in time. They're interested in proving that they're right with as little time as possible. And so I had a conversation with a guy, another pastor actually, about white privilege and he was so offended when he heard that and so i basically had him define it and i said well let's work with some words that you're comfortable and he said i just don't like the word white privilege i said what what would you like to call it white advantage and he goes okay yeah and i was like okay cool let's call it white advantage you know it was so funny how it wasn't necessary it was those two words together were such a trigger for him he understood the concept and actually believed that it exists it just hit him differently i'm cool using a different term as long as we're talking about the same thing. Yeah. And I, again, that takes the time to have that conversation. Cause if you're just white privilege, white privilege, and that's a trigger for him, he's not going to listen to anything else you have to say 100%. because of, and it's just that little word. And like you said, you probably ended up agreeing on most things you talked about as soon yeah. as you switch that word. Um, yeah. But that takes time to have a, I'm assuming it's somebody you have a relationship with and that some sort of relationship and you're having conversations with. It wasn't just some random person online on Twitter or something having a fight. Yeah, I, I made it a point for myself to not engage with strangers online, especially about sensitive topics. Yeah. There are other people who are out there doing the Lord's work for that. That's fine. <laughs> if God has called you to do that, that's cool. I have had a lot of um, impactful conversations with people around race, but I do it through the lens of relationship. And yeah. that is a I won't entertain a conversation if someone wants to talk about it, but I can honestly say in the last two years, 
I don't think I've ever argued with anybody online about race because I also do not go into conversations looking for a fight. Yeah. I see people who, as soon as they see something they don't agree with, they say, this is my opportunity to jump in here and let them know what I think. Yeah. It's time. Like no one was ever convinced about an argument on Facebook. No, nobody's so, ever changed their mind from a yeah. social media post. Never what happened. What does happen is with someone, you know, let's say like me who sits down and says, okay, you're struggling with the idea of white privilege. Let's talk about that. What does it mean? To you? What triggers you when you hear that? Like, let's talk about that response. And now they're like, whoa, you're, they're opening up about what they feel. And I don't need to prove that it exists or anything like that. I just kind of want to know why it has, you know, such a um, impact in their, in their heart or their mind. And you go from there. And those have been the most impactful conversations for me. Yeah. There's, I want to ask you one more question then I'm going to let you go because we're getting long here, but, and we could talk about this forever. Maybe we'll have to do a part three or something sometime. But I want to, I want to talk to, I should have, you brought it up earlier in in, in our conversation, but after we talked last time, you sent me a link to a couple of videos um, about history, specifically Southern history, um, Confederate flag, the statues, kind of where those came from, stuff that I honestly have never put a lot of thought into. Um, living my life in Minnesota, we, not that not that racism doesn't exist and not that there isn't some, but like there aren't Confederate flags on our, you know, on our government buildings. There aren't people flying them on the back of pickup trucks. It's just, you don't do that in Minnesota. Like it, it's never been a conversation that, that I've really had to have much. So I wanna just real quick, if you can kind of give me a little bit of perspective uh, on what those videos were, yeah. Why, like, like I told you, I was shocked when I saw that. Like, I was shocked. Honestly, had no idea. Yeah. So some of the videos I sent Josh were um, one of the channels I love on YouTube is Vox and Vox. They uh, were talking about revisionist history and how, particularly in the South, um, there is a particular group called the Daughters of Confederacy that were impactful in shaping the curriculum for schools in the South. And so you hear a lot of, like one of the main topics uh, that the Civil War was really about states' rights instead of it being about slavery being one of the key factors. And um, this stuff is written into these history books because the Daughters of Confederacy had influence and pull and um, money and all these things. And they're literally kind of framing and changing historical facts and data. And so this, these videos were talking about how they did this and how it differs from actual history. Um, and I grew up going to birthplaces you know, for field trips in third grade of you know slave owners and crazy stuff like that, where you don't really understand what's happening as a child, but then you grow up and you're like, I can't believe this was allowed. Yeah. Um, and you've, you've seen since the protests last year, so many of these Schools have been renamed, uh, monuments torn down. You know, uh, Mississippi, I believe, changed their flag because it had the co- Confederate flag in there. Again, representation matters. Um, you know, so many of the schools in the South are named after these Southern generals, which fought to keep black people oppressed. I mean, this is not. This is going to sound like a stretch, but imagine Jewish kids going to a Hitler high school. It, that sounds insane. Like, how could that ever happen? But you've got Robert E. Lee Middle School, you know, like stuff like that, where it's like, you know, the population could be 80% black kids. It's like, how are we letting this happen? You know? So um, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll send you some of the links and people can watch it and kind of judge for themselves. But yeah, it's, it's literally incredible. The stuff that has skated by in our history books unchallenged because of culture. 
And um, it blew my mind when I saw some of it. And it just continues to unravel as more and more details come out. So I do want, if you send me those links, I will post them below. I do want to say um, that even if you don't necessarily agree with all this or you're skeptical of it, I think it's worth taking the time to actually listen and hear a different point of view that you maybe haven't heard before. Yeah. Part of why I want to do this podcast and have these conversations is, you know, I'm not necessarily going to agree with everyone that I have on, on everything that they say, but so many of us don't take the time to just hear another perspective. Like I'm mature enough and old enough to like make my own decisions and hear other points of view and then come to a conclusion. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, the other thing I want to ask <laughs> You're from North Carolina, right? So the Confederate flag and all these statues and schools and stuff. Uh, I know you were saying where they came from, these daughters of the Confederate, but like, didn't the South lose the war? 100%. I never, I never understood why even the people that are like, oh, the Confederate flag isn't about racism, which if you're black and you see that and it feels racist to you, which it does to most black people. Uh, then I don't care what your reason is for flying it. You probably should not. But even if you're just saying Southern pride, didn't the South lose that war? Like, yeah, 100%. Like, I don't understand. You know, I, I, I love the Vikings and I'll wear my Viking stuff no matter what. But if they get blown out in a game, I'm not like repping them super hard at work on Monday. Right? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I just... Maybe you have a different perspective being from North Carolina, but I always thought that was weird. No, you want to know what's really weird is when you see black people rep it. And you're like, I don't, I, there was a guy who sold flags on the corner of the street that I basically grew up on and he's old black man selling Confederate flags. And I never understood like, I don't like what happened. Are you in the sunken place? Like I just, you know, but for some people, they have bought the lie that it is just so cultural and it's preserving our way of life. And it's a symbol of oppression, you know, from it, it, it's like, it's kind of like, if you know, you know, and if you don't, there's no convincing you. Like if you, there's no amount of convincing someone who looks at that and believes that it's just a beautiful symbol of peace and love and heritage. Like I, it's not to me, it's not worth my time trying to show you, over the last 200 years, how it can be viewed as a symbol of hatred and oppression. If you don't get it by now, you're not going to get it. And any confrontation there is probably just going to further entrench you in your belief. So, yeah, it's um, they, one of those videos talks about how the Daughters of Confederacy literally went around erecting these monuments to preserve the idea of the Southern heritage. And it's war generals that fought to keep black people oppressed, people who own slaves, people, you know, it's like, you can say whatever you want to say about it, but these are the facts. So, yeah, no, I, and we can talk about this for longer too, but um, I think we've gone on long enough to take enough of your time. If there's anything else you want to say, maybe that we didn't get to, or you want to expound on, um, take a minute and kind of give, give your final thoughts, maybe something to take home, something that, that we should all do, you know, me and then listeners too, like something we should do to, yeah. to take away from this conversation? Yeah, uh, I think one, everybody knows about Black History Month, but when another one of these months arrives, take a vested interest and, you know, try new things. If you have a particular place of worship that you go to, go to a place of worship that is culturally different than yours. Um, step outside your comfort zone. One of the easiest things is to try foods from a different culture. You know, and you don't have to gamify it. Just 
expand your knowledge, as Josh was saying, of what's out there because so many different cultures and societies have contributed to what America is today. Uh, even the, the best of us comes from every part, no matter what your ethnic background is. And so uh, I think continue to do your research, but be open to new experiences from other cultures because representation matters. I love it. Thank you very much for joining me, Vince. Uh, stay warm in sunny San Diego while the rest of the country deals with these frozen temperatures colder than we've ever been. And you're sitting there chilling. And I know 50 is cold. 50 and 60 is cold for you guys. But but man, I would I do a lot for 50 degrees right now. That's for sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Really Thanks for joining me. Talk to you later.